This is Get Uncomfortable, the podcast where we talk race, politics, and so much more with me, Adam Smith. The uprising after the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor sparked many outside the culture to want to prove their wokeness. Our nation's municipalities, institutions, and even the federal government also tried to make amends through recognition of Juneteenth, America's real Freedom Day. Juneteenth has been celebrated since 1866. Yeah, 1866. I know that some profess to have never heard of the holiday, yet another reason for AP African American history courses. But after the uprisings, you cannot drive through a downtown in early June, even in the South, without seeing Juneteenth flags lining the streets. Corporations, universities, states, and even the federal government have declared Juneteenth as a holiday, but is giving folks yet another day off and buying red, black, and green plates and ice cream at Walmart, absolving America from its sin of racism and anti-Blackness. Today, we talk Freedom Day, its recent, late-to-the-party adoption and commercialization with Ursuline Hope. Ursuline Hope is a first-generation college graduate who is well into her dissertation journey, finishing her PhD in industrial and organization psychology. She has been in social justice for over 10 years, working in social services, nonprofit, criminal justice, government, and higher education. Her activism inspired her to create Hope in Action LLC, where she provides justice leaders and legislators consultation rich in the principles of organizational justice. She advises on equitable policy development, facilitates educational workshops, and is a board-certified coach. Ms. Hope soon will be Dr. Hope. She prides herself in being a phenomenal mother, wife, innovator, and advocate, an institutional and social disruptor, eradicating systems of oppression, barrier after burial from the inside out in an effort to pay it forward and to do something extraordinary in her lifetime for her children and the future generations of Black people. Ursuline, let's do it. Let's get uncomfortable. Welcome. Let's get uncomfortable. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being in your space and solidarity with such wisdom. This is such an important topic to me and definitely a necessary discussion that needs to happen. So I'm grateful and I'm super ready to get uncomfortable. Well, and it, it because the challenge and when we we talked through this, right? We love Juneteenth, right? It is the real Independence Freedom Day of all people and it's a commemoration of not only freedom and emancipation, right? But it is a call to action of that we need to continue. We haven't attained freedom, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's a continual process. Talk yeah. a little bit about how you and your family, whether it's growing up or now, celebrate or commemorate Juneteenth prior to 2021. And then in this whole post-George Floyd murder, Joe Biden making Juneteenth a federal holiday, how the commemorating of Juneteenth has changed for you? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good question. There's like, and even the fact that there's a before and then an after, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I, for me and my family, I, I think 
I'm a little embarrassed to say that, you know, obviously the day was acknowledged. Um, but as far as like any point in, in the day in which there was a pause of some sort or uh, intentional re- remembrance, um, you know, something celebratory that didn't necessarily take place. And I think for a couple of different reasons, I think um, there's the awareness that the country didn't really care much about it. Right. I think that that plays into how to, to the the social um, and political element of things. Um, I'd also say that with my upbringing and background and the chaos within my family, like even, you know, role models didn't really role model anything in regards to that day. Um, But then on top of that, thinking about the K through 12 education system or, you know, and and the way that they like to water things down, and and not talk about the actual pain of the history of this country and and really try to pretty it up all the time. As a child, you're not as exposed to those types of um, historic moments in time in in a a real and authentic fashion. And now being an adult, you know, with two two black boys, it's interesting because my my husband's from the Caribbean, right? And so uh, that that throws a nuance in there in the sense he's not from this country. And, and um, you know, I just had this conversation with him the other day about how he wasn't even aware of, of Juneteenth going through even the military and some of the nuances until he literally started in the workforce. That's what his exposure was. And so all that to say, um, I think it's sad how this country is not really acknowledged Juneteenth until recently. And now things are popping up all over the place. Right. And so um, I think I I feel post 2021 more um, encouraged, more hopeful, more enthusiastic and proud about being able to really recognize the holiday the way it should have been recognized before. Like this this weekend, I'm going out to the Juneteenth Festival, doing the work <laughs> in the festival with the Black community. And so, yeah, I, I think that that just really paints the picture of how we like to erase history um, in the United States. And now when it benefits other people, we can start to center it in a way that appears performative. That's so true because it it almost requires us because... People don't understand the complexity of racism and Mm anti-Blackness, that it affects us too. And it's almost like Paul, once Saul having the the scales fall from his eyes and realizing, oh my goodness, this is what the world looks like? Mm -hmm. And so we begin to realize there's a scene in the movie, the miniseries Roots, where Kunta Kinte, and I know Alex Haley, and I, I get it, but there's a scene that's really interesting where Kunta Kinte, because this is really what had me growing up questioning Independence Day, so-called Independence Day, July 4th, right? Because as a kid, you get a cap gun, you put on your shirt that's a flag, and everybody goes <laughs> to fireworks, and you have a barbecue, and you do your things, and you you don't learn to think or question. Yep. So I'm watching the miniseries, and there's this point where Fidla, who is a mentor to Kunta Kinte, 
is getting ready to he's putting on his clothes and he's getting ready to go up to the big house with his fiddle because he has to play right and there are um guns going off and you know it was like it was fireworks and kunta kinte at this point is asking fiddler fiddler what's going on and fiddler says white folks is free today and you knew that was july 4 1776 <laughs> and i still remember it that's how poignant it was for me Mm -hmm. to think about how Kunta Kinte looked at him. Mm. What do you mean white folks are they? I'm in bondage over here. You're going up. They're going to celebrate the party by maybe raping a few black women and girls, mm -hmm. right? To celebrate their quote unquote freedom. Yeah. And so those were the kind of things. And I'm sure it was a challenge talking about your husband's service because your husband is a veteran, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the importance of patriotism and true patriotism, what does James Baldwin say? I love my country enough to question her and be critical of her, right? Mm -hmm. And to question the people that live in my country for the constitution that my country is supposed to stand on. That's what being a patriot looks like. Exactly. Talk a little bit about that juxtaposition with you being a family of military folks and the patriotism of the stars and tripes of July 4th, and then the scales falling from your eyes and realizing, you know what, my folks wasn't free on this day, and a whole tens of thousands and millions of other people weren't either. Yeah. Again, like you said, it's very complex. You know, you're fighting for a country that doesn't even see you. You are fighting for a country that doesn't and hasn't poured back into Black folks who have exhausted their blood, sweat, and tears in building the country. You know, when you think about the the fact that Lincoln and the Emancipation Pro Proclamation and, and how it went about being signed, and again, the watered-down history of the United States and how it's like, Oh yeah, he 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 wanted to free all the slaves. It was such a happy fairy tale. And, you know, he just had this epiphany and this, that, and the other. And it's like, no, that's that's not what this was. Y'all were losing and you needed some bodies. Fast forward now to where we're at now and and all of the service and the amount of sacrifice that my husband has made and our family has made for him to serve a country that even still to this day has not repaired any of the harm that they've caused to Black folks. It's just, it's complicated. It is, because there's this idea that if you question anything, that, that Kaepernick isn't a patriot because he took a knee. And if I've asked, I've asked dozens of military folks about where they stood on Colin. And I had a lieutenant colonel say to me, I would be in violation of my oath if I said Kaepernick was wrong for kneeling because my oath wasn't to a flag or to a person or to elected official or to a song, exactly. but it was to the constitution yep. and the constitution protects his right to do that. And any true person in the military who has pledged that a uh, green beret said, you know what? Cause he was sitting on the bench might be a little more respectful to Neil because that's what we do when we see a fallen soldier and you're talking about fallen soldiers who have died mm -hmm. in police brutality. 
That is what the, but you have these false patriots that say, if you question anything, if you say the 4th of July isn't my thing, what's wrong with it? Get, love it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, dog, that, that isn't even the history of the watered down July 4th story mm-hmm. about a group of revolutionary resistance folks who are fighting against taxation without representation and creating an uprising against the power structure and the elected officials and broke a bunch of laws and damaged a bunch of property and had a bunch of riots to do it. We forget that. Talk a little bit, because I know you spent some time working. You've done a lot of great work for the state of Colorado. And last year was the first year that the governor of the state declared Juneteenth a statewide holiday. Talk a little bit about how that declaration impacted DEI work, right, in the state. Obviously, that and anti racism justice work, because we're still dealing with challenges in our schools and what we can teach and what we can't, and all those pieces. And talk a little bit about if you've seen now living in Colorado, if the state did anything different outside of just declaring it a day off? Oh my gosh, that's such a difficult uh, question to respond to just because I said uncomfortable. We don't be uncomfortable now. (laughs) That's the easy route, right? Just giving someone the day off and not giving them the tools or the resources or even showing that you are walking the walk as a state on how you're giving back to a community in which has, has been harmed and continues to be harmed. I think the difficulty when it comes to DEI work is you also have these practitioners who operate sometimes as pawns for the mighty dollar, and they come in and and, and they perform a, a service and you know, you got the respectability politics, for example, to co-sign the performative acts that are happening. And and then they get to walk away saying, yay, we did something. Like we we acknowledged the day. We gave you the day off. I, I can't recall what the the senator was that one day when um they were being asked about reparations. And the senator said, you know, I don't understand why we need to give you black folks reparations because we gave you Obama. Right. And I'm like, Little comments like that politically is what infuriates me around these performative acts of of Juneteenth. So to bring it all back and answer your question, what has the state done since they've um, adopted and acknowledged this particular holiday? Nothing. They've done nothing. When I think the deeper question right, comes down to, and we talked about this yesterday, are we taking the day off or are we taking the day on? You know, Mm. that, 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 that freedom is a brass ring that none of us have grasped yet. And I don't mean none of us Black folks, Indigenous folks, queer folks, people of BIPOC communities, minoritized groups. Freedom, if one person isn't free, ain't nobody free. Right. Right, we saw January six. There's a whole bunch of freedom that we all could have lost, right? So it has to be. This is the action day. This day and, and Martin Luther King Day. Those are yes. not days where we take the day off and have a freaking barbecue. We get to freaking work. That's it. Whether the work is to read, 
whether the work is to love, whether the work is to serve, whether the work is to learn, whether the work is to do anything, do not take the, go to work then. Do not take the day off and stand on the bones and the blood of millions of people mm-hmm. by just taking the day off. Can exactly. you contrast because you you've worked in the in the public sector for the state and state service. Now you work in the higher ed space. Contrast kind of the recognition of Juneteenth in both of those spaces. And I know some institutions give folks Juneteenth off. That's that's what we call recognition, right? Give you a day off. But talk about how that recognition because your institution right now you don't have juneteenth off but talk about because you said with the state they give you the day off but that was about it right talk a little bit about how that difference is being made as you've now been in higher ed for a little over a year yeah you know and let me just circle back because i was a little harsh i don't want to be too harsh i don't want to discourage anybody uh because i am a dei practitioner by nature. Um, I, I do believe in the work. Um, my last name is Hope, so I have to have that hope, right? Um, and so it's it's just, it's the fact that even if you're bringing, you know, whether it's a song or, you know, an um, educational speaker or something or whatever to, to the table to educate people around what Juneteenth actually is observing and, and what it represents, that's one element of it, right? Um, and at the same time, we still got to go beyond the song and dance. Um, and we have to be be a part of building a strategy to dismantle systems of oppression. So it's not saying that those things are, are wrong, per se. It's saying that, and then what, right? Um, and then, you know, I, I feel like if we're not doing the work in challenging these practices and these policies and programs and behaviors that are happening in the workplace, what is it all really for? What are we really doing? Um, because this cosmetic corporate social responsibility hoopla is 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 not the business. It's just not. Um, so I just I wanted to go back and just make sure folks know that DEI work is it's not criticizing some of these. Um, programs and activities that folks are bringing into the space, including, you know, government. Um, it's just saying, and then what? What else are we doing? But to, to go back to your other question about the differences in higher education and what that, that experience has been like, I have to tell you a story. <laughs> uh, the story is that um, when I was called to interview for my my position, you know, the person calls me or whatever, and they say, hey, you know, can you come in on on June nineteenth? And and I I blinked, I, I I paused. I think I gasped even on the phone as I'm getting this call. And I'm like, you mean Juneteenth? And the person's like, yeah, like you you can come come in on this day. What time would work for you or whatever? I said I can't come in on that day. And they're like, why? And I'm and you know had a, had a whole education session just about you know me coming in for for an interview. And so long story short, when I got this position. I said, never again are we not going to pretend like this is a day that deserves recognition. And so I kept that that promise and I kept kept that uh, motivation to deliver on that coming into higher education. It's sad that we go from a, a space where you just get the day off and go forth and prosper to now we're in a, a space where it's 
it's not acknowledged at all. And I said, I can't have that. I can't be complacent. I can't be a part of enabling this, this inaction. And so it's, it's just, it's, it's different. And at the same time, it's still dismissive. It minimizes all of the work that needs to be done. And it's been very frustrating uh, for me in the sense of you have folks within a, a place of higher education who are passionate about some of these topics and and um, the brilliance that that that's here. We have it here. And it's just like, why why is no one doing anything about it or with it? So just, yeah, kind of night and day in the sense of just letting it happen, not making it happen, but letting it happen. Meaning like you do what you want to do on this day or either just come to work because we're not going to acknowledge it all together. Um, but both of those for me, it's not enough. When I think one of the amazing things about you is you aren't just living in hope, hoping for a better day, hoping someone else will do it, hoping things will get better. Well, I hope things, right? But you are hope in action. And that's, that's the right. powerful thing, whether it was the state giving a day off the first year, you put together a multi-agency Juneteenth celebration with several hundred people virtually, or it's your institution now not giving Juneteenth off. In the other contrast, you put together a campus-wide, community-wide celebration, acknowledgement, multi-pronged virtual event for Juneteenth. And I think one of the things that I often get frustrated about is why don't anybody else see this? Why are they not doing anything? Mm -hmm. At this season in my life, I can't worry about what people see and what they don't. When God reveals things to me, I have to act. Mm -hmm. Because the last thing I want is his voice to get quieter in my head. I want to be able to recognize there isn't one good thing that I can do without God. That's some hardcore Martin Luther right there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. anything that comes in my mind or heart that's good, that's him talking to me. And when he puts those thoughts on my heart and on my mind, I have to act. Other people just may not hear it and may not recognize it as much. But when you exercise those muscles, you learn to familiarize yourself and say, oh, that's God's voice. I better do what he says, because I want him to keep talking to me and I want to keep distinguishing his voice from my own, right? Mm -hmm. Which is so powerful. One of the things that I we were talking about, because we, we were talking about this at the, at the National Conference for Race and Ethnicity in higher ed, NCOR, and we were in a session and one of the speakers said, oh, here we go, we're going to talk about Juneteenth. And the crazy part is this has been a holiday celebrated by Black folks since 1866. We have had events and barbecues and activities and speeches and things since 1866. Now, all of a sudden, everyone else comes to the party and Target starts selling Juneteenth shirts. You can go on mm -hmm. Amazon and see a Juneteenth shirt on whatever Caucasian model Amazon is modeling them. You go to Walmart and find Juneteenth ice cream. Walmart a whole big Republican donor organization, right? Mm -hmm. So talk about kind of this commercialization of Juneteenth and what's what's happened sometimes in my head now, because I've had people say to me, happy Juneteenth. <laughs> you don't even say happy Juneteenth. <laughs> what? 
You know, I mean, you just trying. I appreciate you trying, but I don't want this to be another commercialized thing of the blood, sweat, tears, and sacrifice of black and brown folks. So talk about this contrast and why sometimes the mere mention lately of Juneteenth makes you feel maybe uncomfortable, maybe even more a little enraged. Mm. You know, it's funny, as you were just describing people coming up talking about happy Juneteenth. And for some reason, what just the picture that came across in my head was, um, you know, someone wearing blackface and they're doing a little song and dance and and, and this, that and the other. And it, it also made me think about the quote, you know, how they they want our rhythm, but not our blues and how they, to your point, capitalize on our pain and our blood and our sweat and our tears now in ways of of ice cream right or or t-shirts oh uh, what is it, the the indianapolis uh museum with the watermelon salad yeah that's they had the right. Juneteenth watermelon. That's right. i was like are you kidding me right now you know and so all of this was was sparked unfortunately by the the murder of george floyd and then it became a political agenda right and then it became profits for performance and so, so on and so forth with all of these antics. And again, no one's really doing anything. They're all performative. And people see that. They see that people are not putting the funding or what, the, the, what they're reaping back into the Black uh, community. They're, they're capitalizing on a holiday in which they have ignored for years. And now, because of the social justice movements that are going on right now around racial equality, um, they see it as a profit. They see dollar signs. They don't see that they need to repair and and give back. And so all that to say, I just, it, it, it disgusts me at this point, going into some of the stores around this period of time. It enrages me to see people not really recognizing and understanding the history behind what they're doing. Um, and, I, you know, I, I would even say that, yeah, they have some of these, you know, T-shirts in, in specific areas of the store, but they're in specific areas of the store, right? Like, <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's a combination of all of it, it, you know, and the fact that you don't see people actually doing their work. It's such a challenge because... You contrast this with one of the most blatant anti-Black, anti-queer, anti-woman history in the history of this country. You know, we're saying happy Juneteenth and selling junk in stores, and then we are trying to remove so-called race-based admissions in every college. We can't, we talk about culture wars. If anybody is fighting for the culture, it's us. We're using fear politics by removing, you know, every single book from I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings to <laughs> um, Holden Caulfield from our public schools because we don't want white kids this is Florida is not about with the ban on teaching AP African American history. That isn't because we know the data. Black folks, this is all, I mean, racism in institutions like education is real. Black kids don't have access to AP curriculum. 
It's not about us learning our history. We know. And our kids, this is about the fear that some of these white youth will start learning the true history of this country. And then you continue to be outnumbered, right? Because then we got more hippies, just like Richard Nixon. So this is, you know, this contrast of we're corporately and almost like it in this guilt way, we're accepting Juneteenth, right? We're giving people Juneteenth off, but we're not accepting the reason why a Juneteenth is and will continue to be necessary in a time that our country is every day wallowing in racism, anti-Blackness, anti-queer legislation, right? Yeah. So talk a little bit about living in in your state you know your state just like mine just like most if it was up to our state legislatures we'd all be florida right that's true so you're walking through this in your state while at the same time having people think a performative act of celebrating juneteenth is enough rather than fighting for on the ground the true freedom that juneteenth represents it's putting lipstick on a pig, right? That saying where, you know, how can we make it pretty on the on the outside? Uh, but we don't really want to change it at the core. We don't want to change it at the root. We don't want to change the policies, the procedures, the practices that are creating barriers and inequities. But let's bring in a, a performer or some performance of some sort, and we'll give them that. And, and it, it shows in the way in which organizational or uh, practices are enabled that hold black folks back right or it it shows in me bringing forth a discrimination claim and you minimizing or watering it down right and so those are the things that lie beneath the surface that none of this song and dance performative acts can actually um, cover up because it's still rotten from the core right all that to say i think that when it comes to the anti-blackness and white supremacy culture and and the things that are actually we we see and we feel and we experience on a day-to-day basis those things can't just get covered up by one day a year you um giving us some time off or bringing someone in to to perform a song and dance those are the experiences i should say that can't be watered down they can't be taken away and it adds to the frustration and the feeling that this country doesn't care about us until we can actually start to pull things up from from the root and really get to how we are going to walk the walk then all of this is just feeding into white comfort it's feeding into what makes some other people feel better about themselves, the white saviorism, all of those different things. Um, so it, it's not, again, it's it, even to this day, it's still not about Black folks, right? It's about white people feeling comfortable, white people feeling like they've saved people, and white people feeling like, I'm woke. Mm. And I think it, it makes me think of, we don't want Juneteenth to be the next Thanksgiving, to, to be frank, 
that's that's nothing but a bullshit made up holiday where yep. you thought the natives brought maize and corn and sat with the pilgrims not that we are we created a holiday around the genocide attempt by european folks against the people who are already on this land we can't have the juneteenth without discussing the true history the real history the real assault the real removal of people's culture and religion and language and homeland and everything from their being that's why and for everyone who listens to our podcast please never when you're talking first off black folks don't ever say african american i'm just saying we don't say that to each <laughs> other stop it with that yep. fake fake liberal mess mm -hmm. we don't mm -hmm. we don't do that we say black and black is a capital b because we're not yep. a color we are a people just like hmong hmong people are a people because mm -hmm. we have no country right like that of origin we can't go back to france or to europe or to ghana or nigeria for that matter because we just don't know so black as it applies to people are the people that are were taken in bondage and we are a diaspora of people who are all multiracial and multi-ethnic because none of us look like the people in the motherland of africa because of the assaults that were happening upon our mothers and our sisters so it's that peace to understand but don't celebrate juneteenth unless you want to understand your history and mm -hmm. your history with all of the assault and rape and harm and victory and triumph because the one thing we would say the same thing as our native brothers and sisters say we are still here mm -hmm. you tried but we are still here but you're That's not gonna true. don't erase us in 2023 embrace yeah. your history not ours yours they had a black history day this is american history day Right? Mm -hmm. A West Indies History Day, when a group of people, and for people who don't know, the Emancipation Proclamation happened on January 1st, 1863, and it wasn't until June 19th, 1868, right, that the folks, the, the slaves that were living in Galveston found out they were free. They spent another two and a half freaking years in bondage. The assault, the rape, the murder, the dismemberment, the castration. And it wasn't a handful of people. It was a quarter of a million people. That's the history we need to embrace. Yeah. Not buying some damn t-shirts and some red, black, and green plates from Walmart and having just another barbecue. Push that into the fake Independence Day in a couple weeks. Yes. Don't put that in our day where our ancestors every single day, not just in slavery, but since 1865 to 1965 to today, have been struggling for freedom. Exactly. Right? Um, talk a little bit about the continued frustration of many Black folks around, you mentioned it several times, without making repair. You know, talking about what does repair look like for you? Because I know Tecumseh Sherman and we know 40 acres and a mule and we know, but people hear words like reparations and immediately they say, well, well, my, my ancestors didn't have slaves. But what does repair look like for you? 
And if you had your druthers, what would a process of looking at some form of repair look like for this country as we try to pull things up from the roots and really heal? Yeah, you know, so it's it's interesting. You think about slavery, right? Um, in in sixteen ninety, everyone wants to 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 jump to slavery. We've gotten way past that, right? And so we get into this era of Jim Crow you know, between 1865 and 1964. And everyone's thinking like, oh, after civil rights, like everything is is even better now, right? And and now we have these organizational and, and social politics that are present day and, and the acrobatics that occur within organizational functioning and, and practices and what have you. And it just, it it makes me think, of exactly how you you know just explained it the, the couple of years that went by before or before slaves even recognized that they're free that's the tactics that the United States have used for for years the adversive tactics to maintain power status and control that's what they that they're known for um and it, it just looks different now right uh because today's prize isn't the same as yesterday's prize um and and so the organizational and political leaders have gotten more creative as they don't want to face those legal ramifications. So we can't just blatantly discriminate against you. We can't say you ain't coming in here because you're black anymore. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to say, oh, well, we hire the best person for the job, right? We say they, we say, we say the polite things that, that don't um, look suspect so we don't get in trouble because we know that we have these civil rights that are um, that can be um, part of the way in which we utilize our justice system to hold businesses or organizations accountable. And so we can't do, we we have to walk the fine line now. And so we're not going to be as explicit as we once were. And so to, to, to bring it back and, and answer your question, what can we do to start to repair things? You know, we need to start being cognizant of the way we weaponize policies, for example. Um, you know, the discretion in policies that are very loose um, and and you have leaders that can really test the boundaries. You have justice systems that will legitimize and double down on injustices, right? You know, when those cases are brought forth. Um, I was just having a conversation earlier today about a white woman who, um, you know, sued in regards to some discriminatory action that occurred um, and uh, some Black folks that were involved with it and um it, it, it had to do with it was a, it was about Starbucks and it had to do with um the fact that she was doing what whatever the company policy was or whatever the case may be and so they needed a scapegoat so they decided to to um use her as the scapegoat and and long story short she brought forth the 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 case and she won right but i'm thinking about all the countless times that i've heard Black folks bringing discriminatory cases, um, you know, in front of the justice system, and they're constantly being dismissed, right? Or, I mean, we don't even acknowledge intersectionality in our discrimination policies right now. Well, and in the Starbucks case, when Starbucks responded, they said, well, we're going to look at what we're going to do next. Now, somebody of color filed the discrimination. I'm not saying against Starbucks. Maybe they would say the same thing. But in this, how many times do people win a discrimination suit and they're a person of color and the first thing out the corporation's mouth is, we're going to appeal. Exactly. Right. But in this case, it was like, oh, 
which is, I mean, a friend of mine said, oh, they're just going to pay her off. They're just going to pay her. They're going to pay what I, I think they lost 30 million, I think was the yes. number, right? Um, exactly. So it's, it goes it's back to the anti blackness that you were referring to before and the creative strategies that they use to, you know, reinvent and uh, how racism and how discrimination looks today. Um, and, and they gaslight and they manipulate and they, they dodge and all of these different things. And so, you know, part of repair is being able to look in the mirror and, and say that I know I have privilege and I am in spaces where I can challenge these policies that are causing harm. I see, I see you and I see the disparate impact that's happening to black communities. So being able to actually challenge, speak up and reconstruct and deconstruct some of these barriers um, structurally within our, you know, organizations, but also just within our, our social uh, systems as well. Um, and actually doing the work. That's how you start to repair. When I think your point, when you were talking about, we have these civil rights, so people have to be a little more covert with their racism, anti-blackness, anti-queer, anti-all the things, misogyny. But the reality is, we've learned recently in the last three, four years, that all of those civil rights, because nobody is really fighting for them, because our comfort is so important, and our job is so important, and us having 15 pairs of shoes is more important, and our car is more, what do they do? Well, I can't speak up because I might lose my job. What happens when we don't fight for rights? They go stale. Yep. And then we have courts where a woman's right to do what she wants with her own body is challenged, where a person's right to exist at the gender God made them is challenged and wins, where you're passing huge legislation that discriminates against people on who they marry. What you don't think the Civil Rights Act is next? We have <laughs> huge voter suppression things yeah. happening. You know, doggone. I mean, we we won a case in the Supreme Court. 5-4 on voting rights. But that wasn't because of the case. They they helped outline, bring it back to us. We'll, we'll, we'll be happy to get rid of people's rights. And this is when what you said that was so true is that real repair starts with the individual. Yes, reparations is great. And if you gave every descendant of a slave in this country X amount of dollars, I'd be all for it, right? It'd be great. But that isn't the repair alone. It has to start with people using their privilege to ch challenge policies, but also to challenge people in their yeah. lives. When somebody does or says, when you're on a search committee and somebody says, well, I just really liked her more. How many times have we heard that? Is this freaking the, the voice? Are we turning the chair? Is this about who you like? Or is this about who's the qu most qualified? You imagine mm -hmm. if we hired the most qualified person, it, it, there was a there was a um, piece by I think it was Bank of America a study that said it was costing a lack of diversity is costing America, I think it was $7 trillion. Mm. Because mm -hmm. the biggest reason why is we aren't hiring 
the best qualified all the time. Our kids aren't learning from the best teacher. We don't have the best this or the best that because our number one qualification is words like fit and comfort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to use, to have the privileged folks, okay? And there's times that all of us have privilege. I have plenty of privilege in many, many times in my life. That mm -hmm. using your privilege to challenge policies and individual people on their practices and their beliefs and being yes. willing to speak up. That is your Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. That's what freedom looks like because nobody's going to lynch you. Nobody's mm -hmm. going to tie a, a fan from a car to your head and throw you off a bridge like Emmett Till. Nobody's mm -hmm. going to murder you like Harvey Milk. That's not going to happen. But all of the so-called civil rights that you're talking about that people died for, they are on a razor's edge. Yeah. And we are about to lose them. I mean, we had 74 million people who will vote for somebody who has been indicted 37 charges. Yeah. And yeah. we'll vote again. Somebody who wants to be a fascist dictator. So ending on a real happy, positive note, Ursuline, if you were, okay, queen of the world, which you kind of are queen of the world. But if you were queen of the world and you had the ability to plan uh, a Juneteenth celebration or recognition, right? What would you do? Who'd be involved? Who'd be benefited? Who'd be impacted? How would you recognize Juneteenth if you had your druthers? Wow, that is a, a really intense thought there. Wow. I think in short, I would say I would involve um, my people, right? I, I would bring my people um, into a space and we ain't even got to make no plans because, you know, when black folks come out, they ain't got no, they ain't got no plans. They ain't, we, ain't got no, we ain't got no structure to anything. We just know we want to be in community with some good people um, and show up and show, show out. And um, I think some of the people, if I were to think about some people that would, would be there, obviously my family, friends, community, that kind of thing. But I mean, maybe, maybe Nicole, Nicole Jones, right? 1619 Project, um, Sister Soja would be there. Um, Amanda Gorman. I think that that would, that would be real cool. If I were to think about somebody who's not like presently living, maybe like Maya Angelou, uh, Chadwick Bossman, right? Um, some of those folks. Uh, we probably have some representation of Black-owned businesses. I'm thinking about like Black Wall Street style, right? Uh, vo voting information boosts because we we all need to get educated about that. Um, some double Dutch contests because I used to do double Dutch back in the day. Um, you know, some spoken words, some hair braiding, some comedy. Um, and then all, you know, all the proceeds would go to the local school districts, right? Some of the disadvantaged, um, socially disadvantaged and marginalized uh, school districts and, you know, probably some community, community-based organizations, um, some of the grassroots organizations, I should say. We gonna, are we going to have some food? We gonna, those we are the ones that are doing it. Right. You know, we're going to have some food. It's, it's going to be potluck style. Everybody's going to bring their own dishes. Or oh, even Chadwick? Is Chadwick going to cook? He's going to cook too. We're going to have some, some soul food. Um, you know, we, we would show out. And then I would say, um, just bringing the soul, you know, the love, the gospel, the history, the testimonies, um, the stories, uh, just 
the the rhythm, the flavor, the the, the blues, some hip hop, obviously some hip hop beats, and and you know it wouldn't even cost much because like I said, we make a dollar out of fifteen cent. Like the, we're we're so resourceful, we're so resilient as a people. We persevere. That's just who we are. That's within our blood and our makeup. And so it don't got to be a lot, right? It doesn't have to be a lot. It's, it's being in community with one another, um, you know, sharing those survival techniques and that that resilience that we have, creating new trends with one another just because of the brilliance that's that's in the room. And so, you know, my vision of a Juneteenth, it would be filled with the people, by the people and for the people the Black people, in the great words of Coretta Scott King, struggle is never ending process. Freedom is never really won. And you win it in every generation. Ursuline Hope, I'm going to come to your Juneteenth celebration. It's going to be fun. Well, it's enjoy your Juneteenth. You do such an amazing job of, of continuing to center the work and the people and everything you do. Take time to sell it, center yourself. Take care of yourself in your Juneteenth. Um, that's one thing we don't do well enough. We're so grounded in the work and service to others that sometimes we don't realize that we have to take care of ourselves, um, that that's how we can serve and that's how we can make an impact the most we can. It's this idea of putting, you know, putting the mask on ourselves first before we can help others. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your wisdom, your thoughts, your spirit, to be in space with us today. Enjoy your Juneteenth every day as you continue through your work to struggle for freedom, equity, justice for all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Get Uncomfortable. Get Uncomfortable is produced in partnership between Adam Smith and me, Rachel Hansen. There are a number of ways that you can support the show, and we would appreciate any support you could give. Uh, you can leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can send us an email, and our email addresses are in the show notes. Or you can share an episode with a friend. This will help us build community and promote true healing through uncomfortable conversations. Until next time, stay uncomfortable.